Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Good morning. Okay, I'm on. Perfect. So my name is Curtis Bergman, in case anybody doesn't know me yet. Um, and you know what? It's a privilege to be here this morning and to be able to share God's Word with you guys. I just want you to know that I don't take this opportunity lightly. Even though I might be nervous, um, I do appreciate the chance to, to do this. So uh, maybe before we get started, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather together and look into your word. And thank you so much that you love us, God, that you sent your son to die for us so that we can have life through him. And uh, as we look into your word, I pray that uh, it would, there would be something there for all of us and that uh, would draw us closer to you and allow us to walk with you uh, more fully. pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we have been working our way through um, the book of Acts with the Gospel Project, kind of lately following the life of Paul, Paul the Apostle, right? And if you were here last week, you might remember that uh, Pastor Jeff from PEI was here, and he preached about um, Paul's trial before the Jewish Sanhedrin, and then there was a plot to kill Paul, and so they sent him to Caesarea to, you know, protect him. And, uh, and then he had a trial before Felix, right? And then Felix didn't really find him guilty, but he couldn't release him because that wouldn't make the Jews happy. And so he just left him in prison for two years until Festus took over from Felix. And so then you have Paul's trial before Festus, and then before King Agrippa, he kind of was able to share... The gospel, essentially, before all three of these, you know, kings and, and political leaders. And in the end, none of them found him guilty, and yet they still couldn't release him because the Jews wanted him killed. And so Paul appealed to Caesar. And so, to Caesar you shall go. That's what they said. And so uh, he was being sent to Rome for, you know, for his, uh, to be heard by Caesar. <laughs> and so <clears throat> That's kind of where we pick it up in uh, chapter 27. He was commissioned to Julius, a centurion in the imperial regiment, to be taken to Rome. So this is a pretty important guy. He's uh, an officer in the imperial regiment. That's like the, the one that protects Caesar. And uh, they said, Julius, you take Paul to Rome. And uh, so then we, I've got a map coming up, I think, and it's going to show a bit of Paul's journey. Um, they left near uh, Caesarea, they left Adramidium and sailed to Sidon, and then along the coast of Cyprus, like above it, and then they landed at Myra, where they switched to an Alexandrian-type ship. This was probably a large grain freighter. And then from Myra to Snidus, and then along the lee of Crete to a port called Fairhaven. Um, 
And by this point in the year, it was already like mid-September, October. It said it was after the fast. And so it said that sailing at this point was already pretty dangerous. And when they got to Fairhaven, Paul told them that they shouldn't go any further, that they should winter here. But, you know, the, this Julius guy, the, the centurion, and the ship's captain decided not to listen to Paul, the prisoner. We want to go one more harbor. They, they thought if we could just get to Phoenix, just one more stop on the shore there, it would be a better harbor to spend the winter. And so they decided to keep going. And so that's kind of where we pick it up in Acts 27, 13. They are just leaving um, Fairhaven, which you can see on the island of Crete there in the middle. So this is a pretty cool passage. I mean, the whole book of Acts is, is very exciting because it's a narrative, right? He's telling the story of what actually happened. Uh, but this one in particular, you know, I feel like could make a movie about this. Um, it's pretty awesome. So it's, I, I think I'm pretty lucky to be able to preach on this passage, truthfully. So let's read um, chapter 27, verse 13. It says, When a gentle south wind began to blow, they thought they had obtained what they wanted. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. So, you know, they got the kind of wind that they were looking for. They said, okay, great, this is exactly what we need. We can get one more harbor. But... Verse 14, before very long, a wind of hurricane force called a northeaster swept down from the island, and the ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. So the wind has changed. The storm came up. You notice it says, so we gave way to it. Right? It tells you that the author of the book of Acts was actually there on the ship with Paul, right? Because Luke is the author of the book of Acts. And uh, this is one of those times where he was with Paul. So he experienced this firsthand. So you're going to get a lot of really, you know, accurate detail because Luke went through this storm with Paul. Um, so big storm comes in. And they couldn't make any headway against it, so they just decided to let the wind blow them. Um, they were driven along. Verse 16 as we passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So a big grain freighter like this would normally have a lifeboat that gets towed along behind it. But in the big storm, you know, it would have just been smashing up against the back of the boat, and so they decided to try to pull it on board to keep it from just being smashed and beaten. And they, you know, they struggled. They were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. When the men had hoisted it aboard, they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together, fearing that they would run aground on the sandbars of Syrtis. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. So this was a real bad storm. Um, ships back then wouldn't have been, you know, nearly as, wouldn't have had the technology that we have today, you know. They were built with wooden members and like wooden pegs and crude nails to hold it together. So, you know, they thought that this ship was just going to get beat apart, and it was so bad, they decided to pass ropes right underneath the ship to try to just hold it together. Um, so, and then they lowered the sea anchor. So from what I understand, a sea anchor is like a big bell-shaped anchor that they would just put it in the water and drag through the water, and it would act like a parachute just to kind of slow the progress of the ship down. It didn't actually hit the ground, 
but it just slowed it down. Because they knew if they put the, the real anchor down, it would probably just break. They would lose it, you know, or pull the ship apart. So they just let out the parachute and hoped that it would slow the progress down. And, uh, you know, they were afraid that if they had been driven so far, they were afraid they'd hit the sandbars on the other side of the Mediterranean, which was a common thing, apparently. There's a lot of shipwrecks on those sandbars. So verse 18 um, we took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. So this is pretty bad, okay? On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard. So at this point, they have basically given up any hope of financial gain from this voyage. You know, this is a grain freighter full of grain, amongst other things, you know, and, and uh, basically now they're only thinking about trying to stay alive. Let's just throw it all overboard, you know. Otherwise, we're going to die out here. So it gives you a sense of how serious it is. The third day, it said, of vicious storm. Uh, verse 20, when neither the sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. So there you have it. They gave up all hope. That was a pretty bad storm. Um, I don't know what else to say, you know, when, when you get to the point where you're convinced that there's no chance we're going to make it, you know, that's, uh, that's pretty bad. But in verse 21, uh, it says, after the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. So it's interesting that even the apostle Paul couldn't pass up the opportunity to say, I told you so. We really shouldn't have left. This was a bad idea, okay? Um, then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you, keep up your courage, for not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. So in the midst of this storm, Paul, it seems, gets a word from the Lord. And God, you know, encourages him that even though it looks pretty bad and they had given up all hope, he said you know, your lives are going to be spared. And, and not just you, but everybody on the ship. And uh, so, you know, Paul tries to encourage them and point to God in the midst of this storm. Um, I'm going to keep reading, see what happens. Verse 27, on the 14th day, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. That is a long time to be in a storm and to be driven, 14 days. Wow. When about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. So these sailors, they've been out there before, and they knew what it sounded like. You know, even at night in the midst of a storm, sometimes when you can see breakers, even in the black darkness, you can see a thin white line, which means, you know, the waves are pounding against the surf, against the rocks. And the sailors knew that things were about to get real serious. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. Short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. 
Fearing that they would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down in the sea, pretending that they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. So, you know, once again, the sailors, they could see what was going to go down here. Like, those are the rocks. We've been in the storm 14 days. This is not going to end well. And they decided that their best chance was to put the lifeboat down and try to get away. Um, But Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it fall away. So now we see the soldiers decided, you know what, let's listen to Paul. He was right the last time, he's probably right now. And boop, cut the lifeboat, gone. Okay, (laughs) we're all in it together. We're all going down with the ship. Um, So verse 33. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. He said, for the last 14 days... You have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. Um, So now, you know, 276 of them, they hadn't eaten in 14 days. But finally, Paul encourages them and says, God is going to protect us, you know. And in the midst of that incredible storm, Paul points to God. And it says they were all encouraged, you know. And And then after they eat... They throw the rest of the grain away. So they, they pretty much knew that the end was drawing near on this voyage. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land. But they saw a bay with a sandy beach, and they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea, and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. They hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life, and he kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest of us were to get there on planks or on pieces of the ship. And in this way, everyone reached the land in safety. Man, that's uh, pretty miraculous. You think, you know, if the storm is vicious enough that it drives the ship into a sandbar and then smashes it to pieces, and yet all 276 of them make it to shore safely. You know, is that just a coincidence or is that God? (laughs) I would say that 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 is God stepping in in a big way. And, um... And not only that, you know, this verse 42, it says the soldiers planned to kill the prisoners. See, uh, back in the Roman days, the soldiers were responsible for the prisoners. They had to deliver them. And if, if their prisoners escaped, then it was their life that was held accountable. So, you know, even delivering a dead prisoner is better than delivering no prisoner. So, you know, if we at least kill them, then they can't get away. 
That's what they were thinking. But the centurion realized that Paul was a pretty special dude by this point and uh, prevents them from doing that. So, so they all reach land in safely, you know. What a story, man. I'll tell you what. I, like I said, I feel like they could make a movie about that. It's, uh, and that's just a part of it. It actually gets better from there. I'd love to keep reading in chapter 28 because Paul ends up getting bit by a snake that jumps out of the fire at him, but he doesn't die, you know? It just, it just keeps going. But anyway. Um, so they're shipwrecked on Malta, this tiny little island in the middle of the Mediterranean. And let's maybe throw that map up again. It, uh, it doesn't, the map doesn't show the entire Mediterranean, but it shows Malta, just this little speck, little dot on the map below Sicily there. And, what you know, they've been driven through the middle of the Mediterranean for 14 days, and they just happened to run into Malta. Another coincidence? Yeah. If they had missed that, they would have either hit, you know, the top of Africa or been driven into, like, the biggest, most wide-open part of the Mediterranean. And the next thing they would have hit was probably Spain. But they hit Malta. So, you know, coincidence? Or was God in control? You know? <laughs> They may not have seen that as a, a, big, a big win, but I think it was, because it probably would not have gone well if they kept going on that, kept going in the Mediterranean. So, real bad storm. I'm not sure if anybody here has ever been in a storm like that before. Probably not to that same proportion. I know I have not been in a storm like that. I was trying to think of, you know... The best I could come up with is when I was a kid and I was fishing with my dad. We used to fish on this lake called Moosehead Lake, Moosehead Lake, and um, it's only about a mile long. I remember being out there in the canoe fishing most of the day, and in the afternoon, like as the afternoon progressed, the wind is picking up, and there's actually whitecaps on the lake. And by the end of the day, you know, we still had to go back across the lake to get back to this, the trail where the four-wheeler was, you know, the way out. And uh, so we put our fishing rods away, you know, and start paddling. And after like 10 or 15 minutes, we can tell that we have made no progress. You know, that tree on the shore is the same tree that it was 15 minutes ago. <laughs> and as a kid, you know, I remember the, kind of that sick feeling like, ugh, this is not going to go well. We're going to drown out here in this lake, you know. <laughs> I didn't realize there was other options, and uh, we, we did make it back, you know, we just took a lot longer, had to go along the shore, it took 10 times as long, but we got back. So that's kind of the closest I can come to being caught in a big storm, and really it's nothing at all like this, you know. I didn't have to uh, throw the cargo overboard, or the tackle, or, you know, the grain, and I didn't, I may have been close to giving up all hope, but not on the same level, it wasn't... <laughs> It wasn't 14 days with no sun or no stars. Um, so this is a pretty bad storm. Uh, but by this time, you know, in, as we look at the life of Paul, I would say that by this time in Paul's life, he is a seasoned servant of God. He has been through a lot, and he has understood that his path would involve suffering and hardship. And yet he trusted that God would bring him through it. If you remember when during... Paul's conversion in Acts chapter 9, um, 
Paul saw Jesus on the road to Damascus and was blinded by the light, and then God sent this guy named Ananias to uh, give Paul the gospel, essentially. And, uh, but Ananias was afraid to go because Paul killed Christians. That's what he did for a living. But the Lord said to Ananias in uh, Acts 9, verse 15, he said, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So it seems like early on um, in Paul's Christian walk, God showed him that his path was going to be one of suffering. It was not going to be an easy thing, you know, and that's what Paul experienced. Pretty much every city that he went to, he was met with persecution. You know, he was often stoned and beaten and chased out of the city or snuck out. You know, sometimes he would be, he would be snuck out at night because his friends feared for his life. Um, he was often persecuted and thrown in prison. And I think he was even shipwrecked before this. But Paul had learned to trust God and to trust that God would be there with him through all of that persecution and all of that uh, trial. And Paul also knew that God had a plan. Um, in Acts chapter 23, God had given him a little insight Acts 23, verse 11, The following night the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, you must also testify in Rome. So Paul knew that God intended for him to take this, this gospel, the good news about Jesus, to Rome, which at that time was kind of like the center of the world. So Paul was looking forward to taking the gospel to Rome. He didn't know how it was going to happen. He had spent you know, two years stuck in prison with Felix. And uh, he, he might have begun to question how it was going to happen. You know, I'm sure he had his doubts at times. But he realized that God had a plan. And uh, now that he was able to appeal to Caesar and, you know, to be taken to Rome as a prisoner, he probably recognized that this was how God was going to get him to Rome. You know, he's going to go as a prisoner. Um, but then, all of a sudden, this big storm comes up. I wonder if Paul was thinking, what is going on? You know, I thought we were going to Rome. Now I'm caught in a storm. And, you know, as we read, it was a really bad storm. So bad they had to put ropes under the boat to hold it together, right? They, they threw the cargo and the tackle overboard, forfeiting all hope of financial gain. They were so scared they couldn't eat. Uh, and for 14 days, no sun and stars, just storm. But in the midst of that, you know, Paul's faith in God seemed pretty secure. It didn't waver. You know, in the midst of that storm, Paul was the one that pointed them back to God in verse 35 and 36, right? Paul took the opportunity to encourage them and to say, no, you know, God is with us. He's still here. He hasn't abandoned us. So Paul's faith was secure that no matter what happened, God was going to be there with him, even if they were shipwrecked. And uh, so, pretty incredible example, you know. So what is the application for us, you know? Might be, uh, don't try to sail from Crete to Rome after October. You know, that would be one application, but that's not really what I'm going for. Um, 
I'm going to say that in this life, there will be storms, and we may even be shipwrecked, um, metaphorically, you know. I'm sure that all of us have gone through trials and hard times, and life is not easy. This life is not easy, you know. But, you know, God is there with us, and uh, he wants us to trust him during those hard times. And there, you know, there's many different kinds of hard times that we go through. Some of them are by our own bad choices, and some of them are just a result of living in a sin-cursed world, you know, and the results, the result of sin is that death came into the world, and so because of that, you know, we all suffer. And, uh, in John 16, 33, um, Jesus told his disciples, uh, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And in many other places in the New Testament, too, we find that God does not promise us a life of ease. You know, he tells us that there is going to be trouble in this world. It's going to be hard. And uh, there will be times when we are hit with storms, you know. And for me, uh, the storm came about 10 years ago um, when my, my wife at the time, Joanna, was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Um, we were missionaries, and uh, we had been through Bible school. That's where we met. We had gone through the missionary training program, and we raised support, and then gone to Brazil for a year to learn Portuguese. And uh, we had our visas to go to Mozambique, which is in Africa. And they, they speak Portuguese there, so that's why we'd gone. We had three kids at the time, Natalie, Ruben, and Kaylee. And all of a sudden, boom, you know, stage four brain tumor. Basically, they told us, you know, this is the worst kind of diagnosis you can receive as far as, you know, brain cancer goes. So, you know, that was kind of, that was a comparable storm uh, in my life. I thought that I had faith, you know. Uh, we were serving God, doing what we believed that he had called us to do. But God didn't take the storm away. Um, we had hundreds of people praying for us, praying that God would heal her, but God chose not to heal her. That pushed me to my limit. Um, and unlike Paul, I guess this is where my story is a little bit different than his, you know. I struggled to trust God through that. That was hard, you know. I, I grew bitter and angry at God that he took my wife, you know, and messed up my plan. <laughs> um, but, you know, eventually I have learned that God is big enough to handle my bitterness and my anger. Um, even though I'm angry at God, he's been patient and he has been faithful. And he is good and he loves me, you know, even though I may not realize it. And God provided for me and the kids, even when, I, even when I wasn't always faithful to him, even when I was flat out angry at him, you know. And uh, I didn't know it, but God was moving, moving people behind the scenes to draw me back to him. 
And, you know, it's kind of one of those things about hindsight, right? You can look back and see what God was doing, but in the midst of it, you can't always see it. And for about three years after uh, Joanna passed away, I continued to go downhill and get more angry and more bitter at God. Um, Pretty much depression stage, truthfully. But God brought me into contact with some people. Uh, I had an old friend that I had gone through missionary training with and uh, he was now a counselor for kind of hurting missionaries and I talked to him one night and he recognized that I was cutting myself off from the rest of the the world (laughs) that's kind of how I what I do you know I internalize things and don't talk about it I hadn't talked about anything with anybody and uh, and he challenged me that I needed to go talk to somebody about what I had gone through you know and he actually said that I needed to share it in front of a group of people. And I remember thinking to myself, no, there's no way I would ever do that. You know, I would just get up and cry in front of everybody. It would be terrible. Well, as, uh, as God would have it, the very next day, um, CCA called, the school that my kids go to, and they were doing a fundraiser, and they asked if I would share my testimony at the fundraiser, you know. Oh, man. I wanted to say no with every part of me, you know. But this guy the night before had just said that you need to share in front of a group of people. So I felt like I couldn't say no, you know. It's it like God put me in this position that I, I had to say yes. And so it pretty much went the way I thought it would go. And I did get up and cry in front of everybody, and I hated that. I really don't like to do that, you know. Um, but afterwards... Uh, a man that was there approached me and told me that he had been praying for me and our family even before Joanna got sick. And he offered to, to help me, you know, to meet together and whatever, you know, any way that he could. And I realized that this was God's timing because, you know, other people had kind of tried to talk to me before, before this point and I didn't want anything to do with it, you know. I was not ready at that point, but at this time, I was. And so we began to meet together every week. At at first, you know, he would pick me up, and we'd drive around, and I would just kind of cry the whole time. But, uh, you know, that was important. I needed to get that that out, (laughs) all that hurt and pain inside. And uh, the whole time, he just told me that he loved me and appreciated me. And he never tried to fix me, you know, or he never tried to tell me anything that I should do. He just said, you know, I love you, and God loves you, and that that God had a plan, you know. Wow. So, um, you know, I really had very little in common with this guy. He was quite a bit older than me, and... uh, but I realized that God used him in a big way in my life, you know. I was in a really low spot, and God used him to kind of bring me back, you know, to closer to God. Uh, that, that's just, that was just the start of the story for me, you know, and God used many other people along the way, and some of them are even here at this church because it was not long after that that we began coming here. Um, so... You know, God uses people. God uses the body. 
because we all need each other to help help each other, you know. So that that's kind of my story of storm and shipwreck. Um, but it, you know, like I said, it's a little different than Paul because I was not faithful the way God, the way Paul was. I wasn't able to keep my eyes focused on God, and so, you know, it took longer. <laughs> I was more like Jonah, kind of running away from God. Um, but God was the same for both of us. You know, He never changed. Just like He was there for Paul, God was there for me too, and. Uh, you know, through all of that, God always loved me and always provided for me. And uh, His God was not changed by my bad attitude or my anger. You know, God is the same, and that's you know that's key. <laughs> God is not changed by us. He's He is who He is, and uh, He loves us, and He wants. He wants us to walk with him through that pain and through the hard times that life brings along. Um, God still worked to bring me back to him, to where I realized that his way is best, and to begin to trust him through the storms. And since then, you know, Esther and I have had a few little storms of our own, um, but it has become easier to trust God you know, during those hard times because I know that he's faithful. And uh, and so, you know, kind of the key thought that, that I want to leave with us is that there will be storms in life. And, you know, I have no doubt that all of you have experienced trials and difficulties of your own, you know. Probably some, yeah, all, all of us are different. We've all gone through many different things. Um, but... We do go through hard times. But the key is that we learn to walk with God and to trust him through those storms. You know, to be convinced that he still loves us even when we go through hard times and when it doesn't turn out the way we want it to, when we get shipwrecked on Malta. (laughs) So that's kind of the main thought that I have for you guys. And I appreciate this time and I want to close with a, with a song. You know, there have been a few songs over the past years that God has used in my life, and one of them is this song by Cutlass. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty self-explanatory, but I hope you can appreciate the words. Um, so thanks. I uh, called Curtis yesterday, asked if he was going to be sharing any of his personal story in the message, as part of the message today, because I knew what the content of the passage was, and I thought it would be uh, it would be good if he was able and willing to do that. And uh, so, and I'm thankful that he has shared a lot of his personal story today, um, because it is it's appropriate and and and, and it it is uh, uh, yeah, and it's uh, significant. And uh, one of the things that we are trying to do in these days is uh, give uh, some of our some of our, uh, our guys opportunity to share um, 
because it's it's not um, it's not this what God is doing in our lives together. It's not about any one person, unless that person is Jesus Christ, and then it's all about Him. But but we are the body of Christ, and that means that we are to be ministering and encouraging one another. And so one of the the benefits of having someone like Curtis share this morning is not only does you know, he's done an excellent job of opening up that passage to us. But beyond that, it also allows um, God to use um, the, the body and allows the body to minister to itself. And, and as he shared, I know that, uh, and as he has said, many of you uh, have, um, all of you at some point, if you live in this world, you, you're not going to get out of here without a storm. Okay, it's just that's that's the way it is. And the past, some of those passages that he brought to our attention, they they say that Jesus said, "In this world, you will have trouble." That's not a a maybe if statement. That's a certainty. You can you can count on it. And then Jesus says, "And just like you can count on that, more importantly, you can count on me." But as we close our time together today, I know that, uh, uh, as I say, one of the benefits of having someone like Curtis share is it creates opportunities then for, for you, uh, I know that he would be more than happy to talk with anyone here today about anything that you may be going through, and he can encourage you and pray for you, and uh, so I'm, and I'm thankful that he's willing to do that. I'm uh, thankful that he was willing to, to, uh, to, to preach and to share today. So uh, as we close, I'm going to ask you to stand. So if you would like to talk with Curtis, he's got all the time in the world, right, Esther? And he, I noticed we keep moving that way. Is that me or are you moving that way? <laughs> we want to we just close in prayer. And uh, I want you to do something. Uh, well, you don't have to, but if you'd like to. If you're here and you have a particular need in your life, maybe, maybe you're going through some type of storm. Uh, or maybe you have also uh, struggled in some of the ways that Curtis spoke about because it can get really, really hard. Uh, I just want to first to pray, and I'm going to ask you to, if, if you have a special need or something in your life, I want you to just raise your hand like this. Yeah, I, I, am, I do mean now. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Okay. Yeah, just keep it up for a moment, okay? Now, I won't be able to see all your hands and pray for you all individual or anything like that. Uh, of course, right? But here's the thing. God sees your hand. And God knows. He knows you personally. He knows the hair on your head. They're all counted. He knows them all. And he is faithful. And he does care and he loves you. So if you would just reach out in faith today, I would like to lead you in just a short word of prayer as we pray together, okay? God sees, God knows. Lord in heaven, thank you for Curtis and what you've brought him through and for Esther and the children. And Lord, just thank you for what you've done and are doing in his life. And, and Lord, thank you for using him here today as he shared, Lord. And that's part of it all. And we know that is part of it because you do use us to encourage each other, and we, we need each other. And most of all, Lord, we need you. We need you in that storm. And so, Lord, we just pray that right now as you look on each one and as you know that you would 
reveal your love and your mercy and your grace, Lord, to each one of these precious ones. Lord, may they know for absolute certainty that you are absolutely certain, that you are faithful, that your love never fails, that no matter what happens, you are still on the throne, and you said you would be with us even to the very end. And Lord, see us all, see us all, all who trust in the precious sacrifice of Christ, that you would see us all to the very, very end, Lord. So we're putting our trust in you today, and we're asking, Lord, that you would help us. We struggle. We do struggle to trust. But Lord, give us that faith. Show us who you are and how faithful you are and your ability to love and care for us. And we would give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.